Hey guys, I'm Jacinta Robinson and welcome to the Fearless Podcast, where I interview incredible athletes or specialists in the area of health. Today's guest is an ultra runner who completed a 3,200 mile run across the United States. He ran from LA to New York and fueled himself on a plant-based diet. I'd like to welcome Robbie Bellinger. Welcome to the podcast, Robbie. Uh, thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. Like we we're just saying previously, like the time difference is crazy from Australia. And uh, whereabouts are you from? What's your hometown? Well, I live in Denver, Colorado. Yeah. yeah. And are you, are you from there or? No, I grew up in uh, Georgia, down in the southeast. Um, and then predominantly lived in Austin, Texas through my adult life and yeah. moved up here a couple of years ago. Yeah. Right. You can definitely tell like there's a difference in your accent, <laughs> especially yeah. to the Australian. <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> so for everybody listening, you have done something really amazing. You ran across America for 75 days and you went from LA to New York and you did this all by eating just plants. Tell us before we get into that, what inspired you to go on that epic journey? <laughs> Um, it was a culmination of a lot of things going on in my life. I had come out of a, a career in the restaurant industry, and that was when I made this venture up to Denver from Austin, Texas, for my fiance to go to nursing school. So I got up here and I was taking some time off to figure out really what I wanted to do. And um, through that, there was these series of events that happened. One was going plant-based. Um, real quickly, from making that jump that I realized that my performance was just increased exponentially and I was able to recover really quickly and jump right back into another run. Um, along with that also came the realization of how important it was from a environmental standpoint. And those two things kind of those realizations in my mind and also knowing that I wanted to get into environmentalism in some shape, form or fashion, um, just kind of all these things converged. It was that I had, I had always been in the food industry. So food really mattered a lot to me. And then there was also, I was an avid runner, um, definitely not, I, I, I had never considered running across the country until I considered running across the country. And, uh, and then the other part just being that I was having this newfound, really like yearning to be a part of the environmental movement. Um, and so those three things kind of came together. And then I was down at a race in central Mexico and met a guy down there who had ran across the United States. And I just kind of sized him up and was like, he's just a guy. And that sounds really insane. And I want to do it. And so immediately the question was, well, why the hell do you want to do that? And for me right away, it was like, well, I, I understand that this plant-based thing is really important. And if I can show that I can do this on it, well, then there's a lot of the, the excuses people make for themselves and a lot of the misinterpretations uh, of what it is and what it can do for you will be out, like, out the door. And people will have to acknowledge that it works. Um, so... <laughs> That's what I did. So I just, from there, uh, started putting a plan together. And from the day I decided to do it until the day I left from Los Angeles was exactly a year. So I said, I'm gonna do this in a year. And luckily, and with a lot of hard work, all the pieces fell into place and I was able to set out on my journey. Right, that's insane. So tell us about, first of all, you were in the food industry. What were you doing? So I grew up in it, essentially, I say grew up in it when about the time I was when I as soon as I got I, we, we start to drive here in the States at 16. As soon as that started, my first one of my first jobs was at a restaurant uh, at a country club in my hometown. 
And from there, it was just a job. And then I did travel for a couple of years. I was living down in the Virgin Islands uh, and also up in Alaska. And in both of those places, it just provided a a way to travel. It's easy to be transient with your skill set being that you can sling drinks and serve burgers. Like I was so that happened. And then by moving to Austin, I kind of got more serious about it. And through that, made my way up through the, the Austin food scene. And finally, the last six years were spent honing in and refining and making great this little pizzeria that a friend of my a friend of mine and I started. And so it was all Neapolitan pizzeria, very much not vegan, not plant based. It was uh, lots of mozzarella cheese, um, lots of salami, things of that nature. But um, I loved it. It was a great time in my life. But in all of that, too, there was just a real party hard kind of lifestyle that I did wean off of in this as I was taking this larger venture into this pizzeria. And that's when running really became a focal point in my life. It provided a way for me to deal with the stresses of my job that didn't require me to stay at the bar until 2, 3 a.m. Yeah. And uh, that was that was kind of my experience in the industry. And then just was burnt out and ready to sit it down, at least for a while. I wasn't really sure what would be next, but uh, I decided to step away. And that was when we moved up here to Colorado. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people get stuck in this vicious cycle of they're trying to work a lot and then they're trying to do like the socializing side as well. And and then they're like, oh my God, I want to be fit because it makes me feel good. And yeah, they go through that um, vicious cycle of um, either it's too much of one side and and not giving back to their body. And I think that's, it's quite interesting. It's, It's lucky that you have been fortunate that you didn't get like sick. Like a lot of people I've spoken to have had like a chronic fatigue or um, they've had some, something that's gone, whoa, hold up. <laughs> you need to slow down there. <laughs> so were you I mean, pre- there, was, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, of burnout and, and, you know, wearing myself thin, but yeah, luckily I was able to yeah, skate around it becoming too much of an issue. Yeah. Know, so. And then, so like, because you're around, um, like pizza like that's an awesome thing (laughs) especially like now you can see the conversion of the vegan um pizza did you like what was the main reason why you wanted to go um vegan like i know like you said because the environment um but was it because you were surrounded by lots of meat or was it because you did research into how animals were treated or I think it all like the seed was planted by my uh, fiance's sister. She was she was vegan from the day uh, Shelly, my fiance, and I started dating. And so there was always that in the peripheral. And I, you know, I knew how much it meant to her. It's definitely an ethical vegan. Um, and I think for me, it was that when I quit working at the restaurants, I was able for the first time ever to have complete control over my diet. I wasn't yeah. forced into eating what was just available when I was working 12, 14 hour days. So at that time, it allowed me to start playing around with these ideas. And a big influence was Scott Jurek. He's an ultra runner. His book, um, Eat and Run, I believe is the name of it. And that really, that set us, that set uh, a seed as well. And then it was just, I wanted to try it. I wanted to see. And being that my running was something that at this point, I was already like very focused on. When you see those immediate, like it's almost immediate. Like a couple days of, of refraining, especially from the cheese, and I could tell such a difference in my performance. At that point, I knew that. I knew it was good for the environment. It was just such a win-win that it just, it, I, I couldn't see why not to. Um, I do still to this day, I think my main focal point and reason being is environmental. Yeah. And for me, we have so many people that talk about, oh, the 
planets going to hell and, and, you know, it's all the environment's falling apart, but they refuse to take on this, like this one small sacrifice. And the sacrifice is essentially just changing your norms. But if you do it, it's one of the biggest things that you can do as an individual to curb climate change. I mean, all of the statistics, all the data says it, but it, I, it's just, it's putting your money where your mouth is, or maybe it's putting your mouth where your thoughts are. I don't know. But yeah, that, that's <laughs> how I ended up there. A lot of it really did come down to the environmentalism. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't want to admit it. You know what I mean? Like they don't want to admit that they, that that could be something that could make a big, massive impact um, on the environment. And who really wants to admit that it could be something that they're failing at really at the end of the day? <laughs> Especially something that's so personal, right? Like eating, yeah. it's, it's, it's as close to us as breathing. It's something that was brought to us by our family. It's something that is very cultural. And to tell somebody that this thing that you've done at least three times a day for your whole life, that your parents showed you how to do, the community around you embraces that it's wrong, that's, that's a lot to deal with. I totally understand it. I have a lot of empathy for it. But I definitely on the other side say, if you care, this is a great way to make a big impact. I mean, you can go buy all the Teslas you want, but like, it's still not going to make the same impact as refraining from eating that cheeseburger. So. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. So tell us like for the listeners that um, aren't vegan, what were the instant changes that you felt in the body? Like you said that you could recover quicker, but what were some other things? Um, a lot of it does go into performance and recovery, a big part being like going from where I used to, I'd run a lot. I would be just so hungry. I'd go by the local like burger shop and grab two burgers and just smash them and then go to work. And then the next morning I'd wake up and I could hobble out of bed to make my coffee, just super sore. Uh, Shelly, my fiance would make fun of me. She like used to like hobble around the house and be like, Hey, Hey, I'm Robbie. Um, and then when I, I started, like laying off of the meat, it was, I could pop right up out of bed and I wasn't sore. I mean, meat causes inflammation, inflammation causes soreness. Mm -hmm. And so without that, I was just able to up my training so much. Instead of doing a 20 miler and taking two or three days to recover, I do a 20 miler and the next day do a 15 miler and it just mm -hmm. felt fine. And then the dairy aspect, um, you know, so much of running is cardiovascular and everything that's going on right here and that phlegm, uh, it causes so much phlegm and mucus. And when you eliminate that, again, it's just, you're clear, you're, you can breathe better. Um, so those were really the, some of the bigger things. Um, being very active, it's not like weight's really an issue for me, but being at my ideal weight when, especially at that time, like when I was making the transition, it was a lot of beer and a lot of a lot of burgers and so it was like i was never like really lean in the place i wanted to be to be as light as i wanted to be to run the way i wanted to and all of a sudden that wasn't an issue either and also being someone that loves to eat you can eat so much when you're plant-based like it like it just the, the 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 like quantities are amazing and i love that about it i can sit and eat for 30 minutes and have a blast and get up and run the next morning so yeah yeah i find it quite interesting when you're telling like when i tell my clients like feel your plate up and they're like what and they're like no i'm gonna put on weight i'm like no 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 like fill it up load it up totally. yeah and how food, right? Like food, food in a Western diet, we've gotten to this place to where food should be, food should nourish us. It should be something when you look at the food on your plate, you're very thankful and happy to eat it because it's going to do good things for your body. Mm. 
But the current Western diet puts us in this place to where people are like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to eat this. It's, it, it, it's taken on such a negative connotation. It's like this thing that we do, but we feel guilty about when like we should embrace our food. It's, it's so important and it's, it's our lifeline. So eating things that are going to bring nurturing positive things into your body feels a lot better. Um, yeah. So that's another big part of it to me is just the ability to feel good about what I'm eating instead of feeling like it's a notch in the wrong direction. Yeah. And you're right. Subconsciously, you you do know that it's not, especially like sugary foods and not all vegan foods are amazing for you, as you would know. But like, it is quite interesting, the, um, the emotional side behind the eating when you are eating that kind of food compared to something that's full of like minerals and, and vitamins. And I think you can instantly tell straight away within that half an hour after eating, whether that was something good for you or whether it wasn't because you're either lethargic or for <laughs> shit or you're full of energy, you know? Totally. I so, totally agree. So tell us, Robbie, like, okay, so you, you made the switch. Did you find that hard to switch things over? It didn't happen overnight. Yeah. You know, there was an intent and then I was, it was a three, four month process before I was like, okay, I'm all the way there. This is something I can commit to completely. I think for me, I get cheese was really hard in the end, like really nice cheeses. I mean, yeah. there's something really nice about like a really good blue cheese or something yeah. like that. Uh, <laughs> but then um, went, uh, had a picnic in the park and drank a bottle of wine with my fiance and ate like a half a wheel of brie cheese. And that was it. I was like, I'm good. I don't, I don't ever need that again. Oh, really? So it was like overindulging, I think right at the end. Yeah. It was just that clear. And then it was, and then I was good. Oh, interesting. For others, like, you know, considering it, I go back to that idea of like, um, better is better. So, you know, I think we can always get caught up in this idea of absolutism. And, you know, I do take my, my diet and being plant-based as an absolutism. I don't, I don't consume any animal products, but I think it's important for people to understand. Like when I went, when I ran across the U S the point was to create conversations about better food choices with communities that I came in contact with. And through that, I wanted to make sure to not preach this idea that like, you've got to go completely plant-based tomorrow. Hmm. For me, it was more this idea, if we can get uh, the majority of our society to realize that when they do make those choices, it's better for them and better for the environment, hmm. then for every notch we get closer to that, the better. But if you set people up that they have to do it all at once, there's just so much room for failure. And once somebody fails at something that they're voluntarily trying to do, they usually walk away from it because who, who wants to fail at something? Yeah. So just kind of more of an idea of let's all strive to be better. Let's try to do not like maybe just one meal a day that's plant-based initially. And then over time, those habits form into your predominant habit. And then you look back and you're like, wow, I'm, I'm here. I am. I'm completely plant-based. Yeah. And I think that's such great advice that I think people, some people get caught up in, I want it like this. And then they realize that it takes time to learn the, like what, what you would have instead, or when you go to a restaurant, what to ask for, or the kinds of foods that you should eat that make you feel full throughout the day that aren't going to um, put on the weight. But I think that's a time thing. And, and like you said, it's easy swap outs and learning and educating yourself over a period. Totally. And just being nice to yourself about it. Be kind because you're going to make, you're going to have times where you're going to really think like, Oh, today I'm going to make sure everything is 
great. And then you walk by that cheeseburger and you eat it. And it's like, oh, well, like, you know, like whatever, tomorrow's another day. Yeah. So I think that's important too, just so you stay positive about the experience. Absolutely. So going from, okay, you've made the switch and then you're going to do your big run. How did you know what to eat? Like, how did you plan that? Because doing one run, like is one long run is a, a mission as it is, but doing yeah. it after days, after day, after day, <laughs> after day, how do you know that you're going to get the right vitamins and minerals into your system that's going to withstand you for the whole period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so much earlier in this conversation, I mentioned that one of the first catalysts, the things that showed me that plant-based was even a thing was my, uh, my fiance, Shelly's sister, Jackie. Um, well, Jackie's also a plant-based nutritionist and she also agreed to be my crew chief for my run. Oh. So I left that all to her. She devised my, um, my whole meal plan. And she, she took care of the macros and just making sure that everything was in line. And we essentially were tar our target. The idea was all high fat, high carbohydrate. Um, that was really what we thought was going to get me through it. You know, doing an effort, like you said, doing one effort, you know, you just need enough to get through it. I needed to make sure I didn't wither away to nothing. So we had to make sure that there was enough calories and that it was stuff that my body was going to burn efficiently. Um, so once we got out there, I, I quickly ramped up from five and a half, five, 5,500 calories a day to 7,000 and then up to 8,000 in the last month. Oh, so yeah. I was consuming a lot, a lot of food. I was eating 11 times a day. I would eat every five miles. I would come in, I would stop, I would re-up on fluids and eat a little bit. And that was just a, a constant. Mm -hmm. So yeah, she took care of it. I put the faith in her. I knew she could do it. She's one of the most capable humans I've ever met. And um, yeah, so she she took care of that for me. And I just yeah, ran with it, literally. Were you <laughs> were you hungry? Like when you go to eat? Or were you, did you just know that I need to eat so that I can keep putting out this energy? I Yeah, I, I set my mind early, like before I started and, and took the time to, to think through that the reality that food for those two and a half months was going to be not, it wasn't gonna be food anymore. It was going to be fuel. Yeah. So no, I didn't want to eat it. I, I wasn't at times I was hungry. Like when we, when we ramped me up from like the five and 5,500 to 7,000 calories, I, that was cause I called for it. I was like, I'm feeling really weak. Yeah. So we're like, okay, more food. So we ramped it up. And then again, when I went to the 8,000, um, but I didn't enjoy eating it at all. Like, no, I don't remember enjoying one meal while I was out there and friends and family would come visit and then people would reach out on social media and ask, they'd be like, oh, are you just so excited? What are you excited to eat when you get done? I was like, I'm excited just not to eat. I just don't want to have to eat 11 times a day. So, yeah. yeah. And what sort of foods were you eating? Um, so my meal plan consisted of, I'd wake up in the morning and have a bowl of oatmeal or uh, porridge as my... Uh, faithful full-time crew member Elliot called it he's he's uh, from the UK so he called it porridge and uh we call it oatmeal here in the States um <laughs> so we would start off with that and a cup of coffee in the morning and then I would run five miles at my first stop I would have a smoothie we concocted a smoothie that each one had a thousand calories and I had four of them a day and they were made up of uh coconut milk uh a meal replacer which uh one we used was called Soylent um and then some some veggies some chia seeds and peanut butter for protein and so 
yeah, that was pretty much it. And they would, they would, they would make those for me and batch them out for the day. And I would have those throughout the day, every other stop. And in between I would eat either some cold pasta, uh, potatoes with salt on them. We did tofu sandwiches and then I wouldn't eat the bread. And then it was just tofu wraps and it was just tofu. <laughs> and then I would finish off the day with, um, this, this outdoor camping meal, like a freeze dried uh, camping meal that we found that was really highly caloric. We would cook it with coconut milk to add more calories. Yeah. And then I would have one beer, sometimes two, but never three. That was the rule. And then go to bed and then wake up in the morning and do it all over again. Yeah, that's insane. So that is a quite a fair bit of food. It'd be, it was so Yeah. <laughs> So, like, after your smoothie, like, I know when I drink anything, I do not want to run. Like, did you have those feelings of feeling full and heavy or did it just not? Yeah, burning, I was burning through it too fast. Yeah. You know, I was, um, I, I put on weight going into it, purposely gained about 10 pounds. I burnt through that pretty fast. And then it, my weight regulated, but I think it was because we were hitting the calories right. Yeah. And at that point, I don't really know. I don't ever remember feeling as though like I was gluttonously full and could not continue. But I think that also is also a testament to the plant-based diet. Um, Cause one thing I did, I learned on, it was early on, it was day seven or eight. I was extremely exhausted and I was running behind uh, a pacer to realize that if I just followed his feet, I could let my eyes just like lose focus. And in doing that, I had more energy for my legs well, the same is true for my di your digestive system. And eating a plant-based diet really lowers how laborious it is on your digestive system, especially during an effort. So I was able to give more energy to my legs, less to my stomach. And we also made sure that none of the foods I was eating was very dense. It was all stuff that wouldn't take as much for my body to break down. Yeah, very smart, actually. How and did, did you have any, like, going while you're running and you're like looking at people's feet, did you have any points that you hallucinated because you had been running for periods of time? <laughs> day three. Yeah. Day three was a very transformative, weird day for me. Yeah. Uh, my body, my mind, everything really that day, I put it all to the test, especially my mind. And um, I think there's a lot of hormonal changes that happen when you go through something like this. And, you know, day one, I ran my 45 miles. I think it was 49 miles that day. And I was, I was fine. Um, I, I do that a lot. I run ultras all the time. Day two, I think my mind and body were like, oh, okay, you, you want to do it again? I was like, yeah, let's do it again. Day three, it, it, it totally did not want to do it. It refused. Um, but we, we, I didn't refuse. It, it tried, but we kept going. But yeah, there was a lot of hallucinating that day. I had a really unfounded fear of dogs. I was afraid a dog was going to come out of nowhere and bite me. Um, everything looked like one of the filters on your uh, Instagram like feet like yeah. everything was just really opaque and weird and I was really I couldn't handle the um, like the stimulus of, of cars passing me it was really hard I kept cowering and ducking off of the road but I was able to overcome it by about two in the afternoon and then that never really snuck back up again that was really the one day where yeah, I, I was seeing things for sure. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if like debt, obviously deep down in your subconscious when you were younger, it had something to do with a, a dog. Do you remember having any experiences? I think like in the days prior, there had been some interactions with dogs Yeah. and it was something that I just had not 
considered going into it. So it was, it was the one thing that I was just so surprised by and unaware. Yeah. And then through that, it just created this phobia. The phobia lasted, it lasted for like probably a month. Uh, and then I, I was able to overcome it more like just understanding how to deal with the dogs. And like, it's like really at the end of the day, it comes down to who's the bigger dog. Yeah. And if I would act as though I was not afraid and kind of charge at the dog, they would turn around and run away and definitely encountered a lot of dog owners that thought I was crazy when I would do that. And it's as this guy's just running by their house in the middle of like Oklahoma, <laughs> you know, very rural, weird area of the U S. So, yeah. yeah. So tell us, did you have any more um, interesting experiences like where you had, obviously there's a lot of mindset involved with um, getting up every single day. Were there days that you were just like, nah, I can't do it. Or, and did you have like a team that were like, come on, Robbie, you can do it. Get up, keep moving. Like, did you have days yeah. like that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mornings were the hardest. Yeah. Um, getting up out of bed. It was just from day two, waking up, opening my eyes and being like, oh no, like I have to do this again. And that pretty much that lasted every, the mornings were always the hardest was getting out of bed. And I definitely had people there to push me out of the bed. It did get better near the end. Uh, I would say I was just more disciplined. I always was, I was always the motivating factor. Like no one ever had to talk me into doing what I was doing, but they definitely encouraged me and would like come open the doors to the van and just not let me stay comfortable so that I would get up and get going. So yeah, motivation in the early mornings was definitely the hardest. Yeah. And w was there something that you would say to yourself? Were you like, like have your little, um, like, when you're laying there, whether it was like three, two, like, do you know what I mean? Was there something that you would say to yourself that get up or was there like, I'm, I'm doing this for a greater purpose and you would talk to yourself because there's the reason why I asked Robbie is there's so many people that are on their own journey, whether it is a running experience or going to the gym or whatever it may be. And they are laying in bed and they're thinking, fuck, I have to do this again. Like, and it's the common talk in the head um, of, oh, I could just sleep in that little bit longer. And then, oh my God, it's too late. I need to go to work now. So like, what were the things that you would say to yourself um, that, yeah, like could help get other people, like, yeah, get you out of bed and get you moving? I think a lot of it comes down to personal accountability but and also accountability from your community and your social network um for me one of the biggest motivating factors was i said i was going to do it and so therefore i had to do it you know and i think that's one of the beauties of social media is i put it wasn't like i had just told the five people immediately in my life i told it to everyone on my social media account and you know i don't have a massive following now i definitely didn't before running this run but it was a lot of it was it was everyone i'd ever known in my life and here i was you know i said i'm going to run across the united states and so a lot of it came from that and i think that's one of the beauties of social media is we can do that we can hold ourselves accountable by telling others our intent mm -hmm. and when you do that it just it adds a level of like you want you don't want to disappoint others and you don't want them to for me I, I know like i want my word my word is my bond and if i say i'm going to do something i want to follow through with it i think it's an important part of integrity um so that was a big part of it and then also i had a lot of people that jumped on the bandwagon to follow my run as it started over the first couple of days and their encouragement and them telling me the ways that what i was doing was positively affecting their lives oh. i couldn't let them down you know there was there was some really touching 
uh, uh, conversations that I had via social media with people or not really conversations. I didn't have the capacity to, to respond, but they would send me messages telling me. And there was just a couple of those that just, they made my situation feel so trivial and something that I had voluntarily decided to do that there was no way I was just one day going to be like, I'm not getting up. There was one day that I almost didn't get up and it was very, very cold. And it was one of the three nights that I stayed in a hotel instead of in my van. And it was entirely too warm in that hotel room. And it was entirely too cold outside the door. And I was just, I, I was not going to do it. Um, my fiance, she kicked me out the door that day. Yeah. Yeah. That was the one time it, it took a little nudge. Yeah, right. I was content just to stay in the warm hotel room all night, yeah. all day. How cold are we talking, <laughs> Robbie? Like, is it like? <laughs> yeah, let's see. So y'all are on C. So uh, probably like negative five. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was cold. Yeah, it was really cold. I, you know, you. I started on uh, March 15th, 16th. So that here is like, you know, just getting towards kind of close to summer-ish. Um but I, being out there for 75 days and crossing all the United States, I saw all weather. I saw, you know, really, really warm weather uh, in the Mojave Desert all the way down to like snowing, like, like whiteout snows and everything in between. So that was, that was during the whiteout snows, very cold part of it. Wow, that's incredible. And did you get any um, injuries along the way? Um, I did incur some injuries uh, early on. I think it was day seven or eight. I uh, I got chin splints, um, and anyone that's ever had those know they're terrible. And when you're trying to run across a country, it's even worse. Um, <laughs> but we just kept adjusting things here and there over the next four or five days, and we're able eventually just to overcome it while continuing to move. It was it was excruciatingly painful, but I changed my shoes. I put on a compression sleeve. To, to hold my everything into place on that leg and also changed into cruise uh, to ankle socks instead of cruise socks. And those three things, for whatever reason, they made it better. Um, so that was, that was the first big hurdle. And then on day 18, I got tendonitis in the other leg oh. in the ankle. And then that one again took another five to eight days to overcome. And with that one, we just, we needed to do kind of the opposite instead of freeing my, my leg up to move more, we needed to, to com compress everything and keep everything really tight. And I was able to, I had to take one day off in the 75 days I took day 20 off and I was unable to walk. I couldn't put any weight on my leg. So, and I was, had hit a point of ex complete exhaustion and by that point. So my crew talked me into taking off the 20th day. And then on the day, 21st day, I was able to walk 40 miles and then gradually over the next three days, get back to 45 miles a day. Yeah. You're telling your body what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just kind of have to at some point, just like the, the thing is, is like what I learned going into this from some research, talking to other people who've done big efforts. And then my own experience was your body will adapt. It's an, it's an amazing, amazing machine that's made and applicable in so many different uh, environments and in different ways we want to push it. But the key to it is, is constant repetition and, running across the country for 75 days, there's plenty of that. So, you know, you add a stressor over time, it leads to adaptation. And eventually my body just succumbed to what I decided I wanted to do with it. And it started to adapt. And by the end, there was nothing I could do better than run 
45 miles every day. Uh, it was actually hard to let it go. I, I finished in New York and three days later had to go for a run. <laughs> but that is amazing, right? It's like, it's like you're going up a mountain really. And then you get to the peak and then you, you realize that, okay, it's really the mind at the end of the day. That is what it's stops clear. you. It's, you know, and that was what I went in. I went into it knowing that my mind, like I had to con before I started, I convinced myself that there was nothing that was going to stop me except an injury that I could not overcome. And I, I stuck to that mindset. And both of those injuries, there were moments where I thought this was it. It was going to make me not be able to do it. But you can always take one more step. And if you can take one more, you can just take one more. And I think when you get into ultra running and ultra distance athletes, we have some level of amnesia. And the the faster that amnesia sets in, the better you usually are. Like if you just can't remember what it felt like five minutes ago, you're like, I can do five, five, five more miles, five more minutes. Yeah. So. And why do you think that is? Like, why do you feel people get addicted to that? Is it because it's that escape and feel freedom or why do you? Um, you know, in retrospect, like my understanding, I think of what I'm coming to terms with and more recently is it, it's really an act of meditation. Yeah. Um, and especially when you push yourselves to these limits, um, I was really lucky after my run, I had the opportunity to go help a good friend run across the UK. And so I got to sit back and kind of watch his experience. He did, uh, 895 miles in 16 days. So that was about 55 miles a day. And by watching him and being fresh from my experience, like what I saw was is there's so much to me, this is my experience and what it means to me is there's so much static and there's so many things pulling us in so many directions all the time. There's so much stimulus. Uh, there's so many uh, expectations for us that we put on ourselves that society puts on us. And when you put yourself into these type of things, you get to a point of exhaustion that all of that just falls to the wayside and you're left essentially with the essence of who your being is. And when you get to live into that space and the longer you get to live in it, it's therapeutic. And through that meditation, you grow and how exactly I've grown and what's changed in me. I'm still uh, reckoning. I, there's a reckoning of trying to figure out, but uh, the one thing I've come to terms with is that's the beauty that comes out of these things. Like, getting to live so presently in the moment, even if that moment is very uncomfortable. Like when you, when to lean down to tie your shoe or to sit down is excruciatingly painful. It is painful, but you're very aware of your, of yourself. You know, you feel every ounce of you and you're, you're very clued into your physical and mental state. And that there's a lot of beauty in that, that we, and I think modern society, don't have the opportunity to explore as much as maybe we should or yeah i don't know that's that's kind of what came out of it for me is just that getting to your essence getting down to to your base and then being able to navigate through that and learn who you are without all the distractions yeah absolutely i was just about to say i think it's because society is all about more 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 and like you said yeah. what we're expected we should be rather than um living in the moment and, and taking life and experiencing it for what it is. There's just so much going on that it's really hard to um, be present um, in, in what you do, regardless of what it is. So I think you're absolutely right. It, even though it is uncomfortable, it's kind of like 
an addiction because you want to feel that you want to be with yourself and, and understand yourself. And I think it's forever growing. I totally agree. And yeah, it's something that's hard to come back from. You know, there was a, a big hangover after completing that, um, getting to go to that place and do something that I feel, I feel like running is very, um, it's kind of cliche to say because of the book, if anyone's familiar, but it, we were born to run. It's something that I think we are, we were built to do. And when you are allowed to get into that state where you're just putting one foot in front of the other and kind of chasing that, that like, that deer that we're supposed to be hunting down because that's what we did millennia ago, it's freeing. And to come back to that and re-enter society and try to get back to navigating just simply like your cell phone. Like I, it, it, it's a lot. There's a lot of stuff that's pulling us in a lot of directions. And in a lot of ways, it's just a lot easier just to run down the side of the road for 75 days. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody listening, if you're feeling like you're getting pulled different ways, time to get out and hey. run. <laughs> so tell us, Robbie, what's the next big goal? Like, do you have something that you're striving for now that you're planning? Um, you know, there's been things in the works. Uh, COVID-19 has definitely put a damper on a lot of it. We're still very unsure of what our future looks like here in the States. Um, there's a lot of unknowns. So it's, it's right now, it's kind of up in the air. I, you know, there was, there was a lot of talk before this all happened that I was going to partner up with the guy I mentioned just moments, a moment ago who ran across the UK, my friend William Gooch. And we were going to run a marathon in all of the European countries. Um, I believe there's 45 countries and our plan was to run a marathon in each of them in 30 days. So it was going to be a logistical nightmare to be able to get to each country and run a marathon, essentially at one, almost a marathon and a half every day. Um, but then COVID hit and I can't, I can't even fly to Europe right now. Yeah. I can't go over there if I wanted to. So that's been put on hold. Um, I'm focusing a lot of my time right now on other things, um, being into food. Uh, I've been really lucky. I, I'm working currently. I'm doing, I, I was running assembly, essentially professionally for the year of my run. Uh, but now I'm back to working like a day job and it's with a company that we, um, it's called let us grow. And we, we make hydroponic farm stands for people's homes. So essentially you can grow all your produce at your home with very, very little work. And so for me, after making doing my run and it being about plant-based my next question was okay if we can tell everybody they need to eat whole food plant-based diet what is the mechanism to make sure people have this food and what's the most high quality version of that food with as low environmental impact as possible and this this system answers all those questions so right now i'm still running a lot um, but my focus has been more on helping that business grow and playing my role within that company um, so until the COVID thing calms down a little, I don't, I just don't really know what I can do. We're, I mean, we're still here. We can't even, I, like there's trails that are closed. I can't even go to like some of the trails for which I usually like to run on. So we'll see. It's kind of up in there right now. Yeah. And like, can you go outside and run or use are all confined? No, we, we've never here luckily been confined in our homes. I've been able to run throughout it, but it's definitely, luckily for me being a runner who is, you know, I'm, I'm a strong runner, I can easily navigate around people. I can socially distance running anywhere. I can, I can give people six to 10 feet 
anywhere on the sidewalk in Denver, Colorado. Um, but it was, it's always it's been more of the ability to venture out any further than our, our local municipalities. Now we can move around more, but I, in more progressive social circles, which I try to live in, it's still, I think, pretty frowned upon to go too far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, um, in Australia, they closed all like, um, the hiking, um, groups and stuff like, like mountains yeah. and stuff like that as well. But, um, we're fortunate enough that Australia hasn't been affected too largely. So everything's sort of opening up slowly, um, each week. Yeah. So tell us about like what you just said about, um, your work, like is, do, are they developing things that, people in Australia can get, or is that just in America? Like how, what's going on there? We're just stateside right now. Yeah. Uh, we're a rather new company. Uh, so the, 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 the goal is to go global. You know, we really feel as though this, this, we call it a farm stand is, uh, it's the technology behind it and how it's developed is, is so good. It's almost carbon neutral. Um, it's made from all ocean bound plastics that are upcycled, essentially old milk jugs. Yet it's food grade, uh, completely recycled and recyclable. Um, but we are, you know, I, I, I know without a doubt the plan is to, to grow this as big as we can to affect as many people as possible. And uh, also for every 10 we sell, we give one away to a community or a school in need. And so that's a really empowering part of it to me. But um, yeah, I hope one day I'll be able to send you one over that way. Yeah, I think it sounds amazing. <laughs> It's super beautiful. Yeah, I'm very proud to be a part of it. And yeah, I really love I love what I'm doing. I would love to get to go run across another continent, but we gotta get rid of this this virus first. Yeah, that's gotta calm down. So But but food falls so much into that, right? Like we see here that so many of the people that are are the quickest to get really sick and and, and die from this, a lot of their pre existing conditions go back to food. Yeah. So if we can clean up everyone's diet, maybe we'll be a little less prone to these type of situations. Mm. But I think it's education. Like I feel like there's so much behind the marketing side that's saying, have this new cereal, have this like over here. And it looks fun and exciting. And of course, like if you don't have that um, or surrounded by a community that could help educate you in that way, of course you're just naturally going to go to that. And I feel like as sad as it is, um, the best thing is, like you said, social media, spreading the word, explaining what, um, what plants do for you inside and, and how it affects you on the outside. Totally. Yeah. I think the more examples we can put up there of people that are, are doing big things or, or just living a healthy, happy life and doing it and, uh, you know, giving some credit to their, their diet and eating well and being conscious of what they put in their body, the more examples people see, the better. We're not going to get there by telling people what to do. We have to lead by example. And then through those examples, will people make their own, come to their own conclusions? Mm. I think that's the best way because then that way they don't, yeah, like you said, feel forced and don't feel like they have to be someone to be friends with you or, or whatever sure. it may be. They just... Yeah, just slightly naturally, and usually they just adapted, and, and then next minute you're like, "Oh my god, what are you eating over there?" <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> so tell us, Robbie, for everybody that's listening, what is your best piece of advice for if they're trying to make the switch with their food? Uh, little again, little steps. Be kind to yourself. Um, make 
incremental changes that matter. And if you do that and you stay true to that and understand knowing that the more you move in that direction, the better, then eventually cumulatively that will become something that you can hang your hat on and will be more of an absolute thing. And even if it doesn't, the, every step you take better in that direction is better for you and it's better for the environment. And you can be okay with that. Like you still need to just be 80% plant-based. Well, you're doing 80% better and that's 80% better for the community around you and the animals and everything else. Yes. And, and yourself, like it's more than what you were doing. So True. absolutely. I think that's fantastic advice. Now, Robbie, for everybody that would love to um, follow your journey, because we were all excited to see what you get up to after COVID, what is the best place to um, watch you? Is, there, is it through YouTube or Instagram? Or? My, best, my best out is Instagram. Uh, if I'm active, it's on Instagram. And it's simply my name. It's Robbie, R-O-B-B-I-E, uh, Ballinger, B-A-L-E-N-G-E-R, at, or Instagram, at Robbie Ballinger. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So for everybody listening, I'll um, pop all of Robbie's social um, links in there so that way you can easily follow him and, and check out this next crazy epic adventure. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Maybe I'll just run around the country mileage wise, like around my block or something, you know, like maybe I'll just take three months to just run around my block. Who knows? Yeah. Well, you'll definitely know that and be able to go to sleep doing that because you've done it so long. Yeah. <laughs> Just take right turns, right turns. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing all your advice. I think you're an incredible athlete. So thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me.